So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and as you're turning there, by way of review, last week we started a series entitled, One Life to Live, One Life to Give. And uh, it was kind of an interesting hodgepodge of somewhat sermon, a little bit story, a little bit encouragement and challenge. And uh, we'll continue on that again this week as we look at the subject of God's giving you one life. One life. Uh, despite what some religions teach, you're not going to die and come back as some other form of life. You're going to die and you're going to go to one of two places, eternally in hell or eternally in heaven. And uh, I hope it's heaven that because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. But if not, uh, eternally in, in hell would be your home. And yet, God has given us this one life to make an impact in the world that we live. One life to live, one life to give. So by way of review, we talked about the fact that all of us have but one life to live. And someone once said, only two choices on the shelf, living for God or pleasing self. Those are the two choices that we have every day as we wake up. In choosing how we are going to live this life, we are going to have to choose who we're going to please. You see, if I live for God, that's going to require a certain set of choices. And if I live for self, that too will require certain choices that I have to make. And whether or not we live for God or please self is going to be made up every day as we get started, as we put one foot in front of the other, as we start our day, as we build relationships. You know, life is going to be determined by the circumstances, and we're going to have to respond to them. In our actions, in our reactions, in our thoughts, we're going to have to decide who we are going to please. Um, so as we finished that first message two weeks ago, um, I asked all of us to consider four questions regarding uh, our life and our commitments that we may make during this sermon series. And the first question was this, are you satisfied or happy with your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? Are you happy with it? Because if you're happy with it, nothing will change. I don't know about you, but I'm never happy with where I'm at. I hope that all of us aren't happy with where we're at. If you're happy, that means you've hit the pinnacle and you're done, right? I mean, bottom line is uh, we've already arrived if we're not challenging ourselves to move forward and to be better and to learn more and draw closer to our Savior, right? So if you're happy where you're at, well, then I guess that's where you're going to be. Um, but if you're happy with it, then nothing's going to change. Number two, uh, do you feel a sense of fulfillment with your level of satisfa satisfaction or commitment to Jesus Christ? What does that matter? Are you satisfied? Or do you think life has more? I think we, have a, we live in a world where we're constantly wanting more because we're never satisfied. You want a little bit nicer house, a little bit better car, a little bit more income, a little bit better wage, a little bit better position. We live in a world where we're never really satisfied, right? And I think oftentimes the only place that we become satisfied in is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just kind of good enough. Let's be honest. It's a lot of times that we just kind of look at it as like, well... I go to church every week. I might give an offering. I might not. I might serve. I might not. But whatever it is, I'm kind of just good enough. Don't push me to do anything more than what I'm already doing. Just leave me alone. I'm kind of good. It's kind of like the only area of life that we find ourselves okay with. Let's be honest. And as I preach to you, I'm preaching to myself too, just so you know. I got two hands and a foot up. You can't see them, but they're there. Number three. Here's the biggest question I think I asked last week. Are you open and willing to letting God redirect you in some areas? Are you willing and open to letting God direct you in some areas? 
we just had one example this morning with abortion and with compass care. And we can get all ticked off and upset and frustrated over what our government's doing. But if all you do is just get mad about it, don't worry about it. Put action to it. You have some ideas. Go serve. Go help. Go raise funds. Do whatever. There's lots of things you can do, but doing nothing but getting upset accomplishes nothing. What did we say before? Compassion without action is just empathy. I'm empathetic towards what's going on, but I'm not really compassionate because compassion has an action to it. So compassion without action isn't compassion. We can say that we love the lost. We can say that we love those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can say that we love those who are hurting and going through difficult circumstances. But if all you are is just, well, that's just their problem. That's empathy. It's not compassion. Because compassion has action involved with it. So, do you feel, are you, are you open and willing to let God redirect you in some areas? If you're not open to it, then I guess you're where you're going to be. And that's sad. And then the fourth question I asked was, will you commit to praying daily for God to speak to you no matter what? It's really easy, and I, and I mentioned this too, I, I have a group of pastors that I meet with every fourth Wednesday. Every fourth Wednesday. We call it brown bag lunch discussion. I lead it, I give them topics, and we have a discussion. And one of the things we brought up over the last couple weeks is this whole idea of, we as pastors, quote-unquote, think that we can spot issues that are problems, right? I mean, that's what we're paid to do, right? Kind of lead the church in the, in the, in the direction that God wants us to go. And when so-and-so is struggling, it's like, yeah, we got a grip on that. We, we know, and we kind of give the advice that they need to hear, and we're going to help them. Isn't that what pastors do, unfortunately? But I challenge our, pastor, our group of pastors to look not out, but in. Because last time I knew, you cut me, I bleed red just like you. I'm a sinner like you. Just, just in case there's any question, ask my wife. She can clarify that. I'm a sinner just like you. And it's really easy to look at the sins of others and what others are not doing or what they are doing and compare ourselves and say, well, I'm better than them. I don't have the time that they have. I don't have the resources that they have. And we can justify, excuse, and rationalize anything that we are doing or not doing, right? Because we're good at it. So the question comes, will you commit to praying daily for God to speak to you, not to speak to someone else? Because it's you that needs the problem. A directed. I can't deal with anyone else. I can only deal with me. So here's the question. Did you pray this week, last week? I hope you did. I'm praying. Because I want God to do something more in my life. I I don't want to be satisfied with where I'm at. I I get those days of humdrum. Lord, what are you doing? Can't see your hand right at the moment. I know you're there because I I believe God's word. I believe the scripture. I know you're there, but I just don't sense it. I want that. I want God and his spirit to be present. Amen? but that sometimes requires me, and I hear this many times over the years. Well, Pastor, I read the Bible, and I just don't get anything out of it. That's a problem. And if you're concerned about it, you should start asking some questions. Why? Either the Holy Spirit's not in you to teach you what it says, and you quite possibly don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're not really praying and committing it to God and saying, God, teach me what it has so that I can grow through it. 
We have opportunities to grow. Are you taking them? Lord, as we come before you, I ask God that you would speak to all of our hearts this morning. Lord, as we continue in this series, one life to live, one life to give. Lord, that we would realize that you have something for us. And it's more than just showing up on a Sunday. It's more than just possessing a incredible treasure beyond all treasures in Jesus Christ. It's in a relationship with you, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would live out this relationship to please you and you alone. And we ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts this day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we got through some of the introduction, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. And let me just say, these several verses that I'm going to read this morning, I can probably guarantee you've heard all of them 100,000 times. But let me challenge you one more time. Don't dismiss it as I've already heard that before. Please don't do that. Let me allow the the Holy Spirit to to speak to you and, and through this scripture challenge you once again. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I was challenged by this, in fact, a year ago, uh, as I was reading uh, a devotional. And, the, and January 1 of that year, that devotional was based off this verse. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the thing that challenged me about it was the very things that the author was writing about it is very simple. God chose to use something through the Apostle Paul, something so simple, something so trivial, something so continuous, something that's so monotonous that we do every day of our lives, eating and drinking. Or whatever you do. But something so continuous as eating and drinking. I mean, how many of us didn't eat or drink something already today? I mean, that's something we all do. I mean, I, I, I would dare bet that there probably nobody came through the door didn't have at least a glass of water or a drink of something before you got here today or eat something. Something that we do so often every day of our lives or whatsoever you do, do all to God's glory. When I think about that, several things come to my mind. What are the monotonous things, the continuous things, the daily routines of your life that you just kind of wake up and do because that's what we do. Are you doing them to God's glory? Are you doing them in such a way that God would say, I am so proud of you. You know, when our kids make some type of accomplishment, we reward them. We say, man, that's a great job. I went to little Isaac this morning. You got some stars this week. And if you follow that on Facebook, you know what that's talking about. He's taking his steps towards uh, being trained. That's pretty awesome. And he's like, yeah. We reward obedience, don't we, as parents? Why? Because it pleases us when our children obey. And God says, whether therefore you eat or drink, do it to my glory, not your own. So that means in our personal lives and in our public lives. You know, the personal life is a whole lot different than the public life because we can hide so much of it. I mean, think about it. I can hide almost anything from anybody personally, but when I'm out in front of everybody... I can either hide it still or be a hypocrite. But in everything I do, he says, do it to my glory. Look at back verse 23 and 24 in the same passage. 
1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Your, your version may say expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all, not all things edify. So stop right there. So what he's saying here is this. I have the right to do anything I want, as long as the law says I can do it. Uh, there are a lot of things that the law says I can do. For example, I may be going down the highway, and I look at that sign, and it says 55 mile an hour. I can have the right to go 55 mile an hour, because that's what that sign says, right? Well, okay, I might have the right to go 55, but man, there's a snow blizzard going on. Can't see a car, you know, two car lengths in front of me, and it's just coming down like cats and dogs. It's lawful for me to go 55, but is it beneficial? Is it helpful? Is it expedient? No. So common sense says, even though I have the right to do it, I probably shouldn't do it. Or how about an X-rated movie? I mean, I have the right. I mean, I mean, the law says I'm 19 years old. I can go to any movie theater I want, watch anything under the sun that I want. But the reality is, I'm a born-again believer. My Heavenly Father says, no, that doesn't please me. But the law says I can do it. I'm 19 years old. I can do whatever I want. It's lawful, but is it beneficial? Is it going to lead me down a path that is destructive? Could it lead me in a path that would cause me to have addictions later? Is it going to cause, cause, cause me to go down a path that may have adverse effects and actions in my life? It could. Oh, drinking. I mean, if I want to go out and get wasted Friday night, I have the right to do that. I mean, I can go get bombshelled. I mean, I can make an idiot out of myself. It's my right. Yeah. Law says you're 21. You can go drink your full head off. That's fine. Go for it. I mean, just get wasted, get bombed, get sauced, whatever you want to call it. It's lawful, but is it beneficial? Probably not. So the reality is God's word makes it very clear. There are things that are lawful. You have the right to do them. But is it beneficial? And that's where wisdom comes in. And that's where I have to make the determination of who I'm going to choose to live for. Because if I want to live for self, I can do anything I want and it doesn't matter because it's my opinion, it's my life, I can do whatever I want and don't tell me what to do. But if I'm living for God's glory, then I'm going to start asking some other questions. What pleases God, what doesn't please God? And he says to do this in whatever you choose to do. So there's a choice to be made. In fact... Look down at verse 33, and I'm sorry, verse uh, 24. It says, let no one seek his own, but each one other's well-being. So when I'm going out and doing all those things that I have the right to do, but are not necessarily beneficial or helpful to me, who am I trying to please? And he says, don't let everyone please yourself. Live for others. In fact, you've heard the acronym, joy, Jesus, others, yourself. You want to have real joy? Follow Jesus, then others, then yourself, right? So according to verse 24, it says, let... No one seek his own, but each one other's well-being. And when I'm choosing to do anything that is lawful but not beneficial, I'm choosing to put myself in front of others and in front of God. And the reality is, he says down in verse 33, he says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So what's at stake in how I respond to the circumstances of life? What's at stake when I consider my own actions and reactions in this world that, that we live in? My testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I can live like the world, act like the world, dress like the world, talk like the world, watch what the world watches, listen to what the world listens to, risque or not. I can live like the world or live like myself, and then I want to say, I don't understand why I don't have an impact. 
why would the world want what we've got if we're no different than they are? Isn't that a fair question? It's a fair question. If, if, if I'm not living any different than the world, why would they want what I've got? Or at least what I claim that I got? Turn back just a couple pages, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now he said at the end of verse 33, go ahead and look at chapter 9, but verse 33 of chapter 10 he says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved... He begins to tell us what our purpose is in this life. We live life so that others can come to know Jesus Christ, right? So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more. What's he saying here? He goes, my life is about not myself, but serving others. And why is it about serving others? So that they can come to know Jesus Christ like I know him. So he said, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without law for not being from the law toward God, but under law toward Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. It's amazing what he says here in then verse 23. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker with you. He says, my life, getting back to the sermon series, I have one life to live. One life to give. The bottom line is, Paul is saying here, this life is not about me. It's not about me. It's about everyone else but me. It's about what Jesus Christ has done and what he wants to continue to do through my life. So he said, I'm going to live this life in such a way that I can point them to Jesus Christ. Which gets back to the first premise of whether I live for myself or others comes down to who I want to please. If I'm all about pleasing myself, keep doing what you want to do. It's your life. Or if you want to live for God, I can have the belief that my life belongs to God and he's going to do a work through me one way or the other so whether it's the speed limit whether it's uh, alcohol or whether it's x-rated movie what determines my actions who I want to please really comes down to that let's go over to Ephesians chapter 2 over just a few pages to the right Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 Let's continue on this purpose here just for a moment. He says, part of your purpose for living is that you can invite others to a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says, I've created you to do good works. Isn't that awesome? You have a purpose. God has a plan for your life. I, I thought about that this week. How many of you have not heard that verse a thousand times in your lifetime? You've heard it, right? So I, I'm trying to think this week, what does that really mean? Created good works? Because everyone has an idea of what good works are. Um, so is it just helping down out the, you know, the homeless shelter? Is it you know, passing out food on the corner? Is it, what, what does that mean? Well, I, I, I tried to do a little bit of study on that. But created in Christ Jesus for good works. Really in God's economy, what that really means is we're created for God's business for 
his employment. In other words, God says, you now work for me, not yourself. You're not a personal business owner. You work for me. You're my employer. Now, that has some unique connotations to it if you, if that's, if you leave it at face value. What God is saying is, you have something greater to work for. And what you're working for is the kingdom of God, not for yourself. You're now one of my servants, one of my people. You're part of my family. And when we look at that, it's because God's giving you a new life, a new assignment. How do I know that? Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 just for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to begin reading with verse 16. It says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. What's he saying here? He goes, I'm not going to be biased towards one person from another, from another, from another. He says, cross the board. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, smart, not so smart. Level playing ground. So, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now wait a minute. Now he's telling us once again that part of your purpose for existence is to what? When others to Jesus Christ. He said the reason you've been reconciled to Jesus Christ is so that you can reconcile others to Jesus Christ. God wants to use you to bring others to himself. You have a purpose. You have a reason for existence. He says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now here's verse 20. This kind of sums it all up. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. There's those good works that God has called you to. You work for the Lord. You're his ambassador. You know what an ambassador gets to do? Gets to stand before people and proclaim the news of the one who sent him. So we have a job to do. So we're his ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what's the message? You need to come to Christ. It'll change your life. One life to live, one life to give. You're either going to give it in selfishness and say, I, this life is about me and what i got to get done and what i got to do, or I'm going to live it for God and I'm going to serve him and do my part to bring others to his uh, relationship with him. And verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, life is not about us at all. Never has been, never will be. And that's such a trite statement for so many. Well, it's all about him. Well, we know that, but do we live it? I mean, we can say one thing, but do we live it out practically with how we wake up in the morning, how we go about our day, how we respond to people, how we act and react to circumstances? We can say that we're Christ's child and we can say that we're living for Him, but does our life prove that? Another passage, very familiar. Philippians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, over there to the right, a few books. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. In verse 21. It says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wait a minute, does this guy have a death wish? Does he want to die? Is he looking forward to death? 
don't know about you, but I look forward to heaven. I don't look forward to dying, but I look forward to heaven. I don't want to go through that process of if, if, you know, if I have a choice in the matter. Um, I, I want to I live life full, and then, and then in God's timing, whatever that may be, just take me without having to go through a gruesome death. I don't want to do that. Paul was saying, I can live this life, but if I die, I gain. Period. Um, how is it gain to die? Well, if our focus is here on the here and now, then this is the best that life has to offer, right? I mean, if I can have a nice car that's dependable and looks good, it's not rusted out. If I have a car that, I mean, a house that is pretty good shape, doesn't need a bunch of ton of work, I'm, I'm pretty good. My job provides me the ability to pay my bills decently. I mean, if that's all our life has to offer, man, live the good life. But if there's something more than that, if our focus is here rather than in heaven, and that's what he tells us in Philippians, it says, truly our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven, then dying is not gain. But if the best is yet to come, then dying is gain. It's, it's something that we look forward to in the sense that we'll spend eternity in heaven one day, right? So we look forward to that aspect. So let's go back to Second Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to read beginning with verse 3. <clears throat> I love this. It says, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report, and good report as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Wow. Is that not a testimony of saying... Well, let's go on. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return, I speak to you as children, you also be open. Bottom line is, he says over and over, um, we can go through a lot of things in this life. And who went through more things than the Apostle Paul? Who was more open to more people than the Apostle Paul? I mean, we haven't even got into the fact that he was shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead. If he could have that kind of a focus of, for me to live as Christ, he said, this whole life revolves around him. He said, it's so easy to say, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's easy to say that I live for God. Do we? I get all four of them up there, but I can't do it. It's a struggle. Who, does a, who of us doesn't want things? Who of us doesn't want what this life has to offer? Health. Perfect bodies. No sickness. Things that we just strive for every day. Or give up on and say, well, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. 
Paul went through everything and he didn't, didn't seem to faze him because he just kept going. Bottom line is, if I die, so be it. Because I have one life to live and one life to give. If I die, oh well. I'm going to heaven. And so much of our life is lived in light of what others think about us. I can be honest with you at this stage in my life, but when I was 22 years old and pastoring, I was more concerned about what other pastors thought of me than what my people thought of me. I just was. I mean, I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing in front of the right people and making sure that I had their approval. I really don't give a flip what other pastors think at this stage. I'm really concerned about what helps you guys and what helps us as, as believers, as a family in Christ. We live so much of, life, of our life based off what other people think. More than what what does God think? Because we've heard this saying many times in your life, actions speak louder than words. And if what we say is not backed up by our actions, your, your words have no value. I can say I love God, but God's word says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Are you walking in obedience? God says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I said, well, my heart's with God, is it? Does the life back it up? Man, you're being harsh today. <laughs> no, I'm speaking to me. Because these are the things that we all struggle with. And Paul says, all these things can happen, I'm still living for Christ. See, struggle is not an excuse for lack of obedience. Hardship is not an excuse to not be obedient. Lack of finances or difficulties or lack of help is not an excuse for obedience. There is no excuse for lack of obedience for a child of God. I mean, if we're going to have this certain list that if we fit into this parameter, we're going to stand before God one day, he goes, oh, I get it. There's no worries. You've got to buy on this one. No. See, we're all good at justifying, excusing, rationalizing why we do what we do. But at the end of the day, actions speak louder than words. Our love speaks volumes. So he goes on. All these things he says. Behold, now is the accepting, accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If we know Jesus Christ, there should be a change. There should be a big change in how we live. Galatians chapter 2. Here's his testimony. Verse 20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying here? When people look at me, I don't really want them to see me. I don't want them to see Paul. Paul didn't have a whole lot to be proud of, if you want to say that. You can argue that point. But who was Paul before he was Paul? Saul. Was Saul a nice guy? No. If you think you've got to be perfect before you come to Christ, talk to Paul. Because he wasn't. 
I mean, he very much wasn't. He was not a nice guy. Caused the death of many, I'm certain. But when God got a hold of his life, everything changed. He says, now I've been crucified with Christ. My whole life, spiritually speaking, has been put to death. I'm resurrected as someone new in Christ, a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. But the life I now live, I live in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God. Right? So he says, it's not about me. And I want people to not see me. I want them to see someone who has been resurrected with Christ. A changed man. Two more verses and then we're done. Romans chapter 12. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Who are brethren? Other believers in Christ. Other Christ followers, right? So he says, I beseech you as a follower of Christ. As a brother in Christ. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some of your translations may say your form of worship. Either is true. But he says, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. When we think of a sacrifice, do we think of living or dead? Dead. I mean, throughout the whole Old Testament, sacrifices were made. They killed something to create the sacrifice. He's not saying, I want you to die for me. He's saying, I want you to present your life in service to me. It's your reasonable form of worship that you would give me your life. Because you have one life to live, one life to give. So I want you to give it to me. And then he goes on and says, and do not be conformed to this world. Why is that important that we not live for the things of this world? Because 1 John 2 tells us, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we know that the world, according to verse 18, is going to pass away. So you want to invest in things that are eternal, not temporal. Eternal things are the Word of God and the souls of men. Those are the only two things that will stand the test of time. The nicest house will eventually crumble. The best of this life will eventually decay. I don't know about you, but I'd love to have a car that the tires never wore out. I'd love to have a car that, well, I just like to have cars that run consistently lately. Um, I just like to have things work, right? I've never had a vehicle that got better in time. Maybe you have, I don't know. Everything in this world goes from better to worse. Just give it time. And he says, so... Don't be conformed to this world. If we're living for the things of this world, we're going to be disappointed. But he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Bottom line is, he says, live for things that are not of this earth. One life to live, one life to give. The life that you're given, don't live it for the things of this world. Live it for the things of God and what is to come. One last verse, 1 Peter 2.9. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, chapter 2, and verse 9. I just want to close with this. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Some of you may say peculiar people, and you are, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He said, you're a chosen generation, his people. 
you're his. Kind of goes against what this culture tells us. Culture says, my life, I can do whatever I want with it. If you're a child of God, that doesn't apply to you. Bottom line is 1 Corinthians 6 says, What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have a God, and you are not your own. You are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have to glorify him with this body that we are bought with. This life is not yours. If you are a child of God, this life is not yours. It's his. And as such, we need to treat it as such. You're a chosen generation. His own special people that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. If you're a child of God, he's given you purpose. He's given you a future. He's given you something to look forward to that is not in this world. Say, man, I just got to get through this life. Yes, you do. You do. Until he calls you home, you do. How are you going to do that? starts every day, every morning, every day that he gives you life by saying today is his. I'm going to please him with it. Oh man, my flesh gets in the way. Just trust me. Ask my wife, ask my kids. Oh, there are so many days I wish I just could take that back. I can't. Shouldn't have said that the way I said it. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have had that reaction. And I wish I could change it. Gosh, I wish I could change it sometimes. But every day it starts off saying, God, this day is yours. Help me to live it for you. Help me not to be selfish, God. Help me to be selfless. Help me to live a life that would be a testimony to others. Because I only have this one life. I only have this one life. And whether it's five years or 25 years or 75 years or 105 years, you have one life. What are you going to do with it? One life to make an impact. One life to do something for God's glory. One life to bring others to Him. And it starts off with a daily decision. A daily choice to please Him. Trust me, this world wants your attention. They do. The entire world wants your, wants your attention. Just, you know, if you have one of these, this, this will make your life better. I'm still waiting for the day I wake up on Christmas morning, morning with a brand new truck with a red bow on it. What the world wants you to think is yours and what you need is not reality. It's a figment of somebody's imagination who's trying to make another buck on your behalf. Let's be honest. Nobody says it like Kay. I don't know. They ain't getting my money. I, sorry, Don. I just I ain't got extra thousands to lay around. The world wants you to think that there's something more. That you can have it all. But you have one life to live and one life to give. Make it count for God.